Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life and financial vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that help craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have differences and different palates that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Terry DeCoster. Terry is a co-parent and step-parent coach uh, and family mediator, as you'll hear in the podcast. Uh, we are excited to have Terry on the show because I think she brings a different spin to what happens when families are blended. Uh, I enjoyed talking with her uh, on several occasions through a group that we met, and uh, I learned a new winery that I uh, will have on my list when Brent and I do vacation out to Oregon and uh, California um, and Washington State at some point in time when we're allowed to travel and have the time, I should say. Uh, this week, you'll hear me featuring Prejean and specifically their Cab Franc. And one of the reasons that we are doing this uh, specific recommendations to specific wineries is many people won't be traveling this year and we want them to reach out to those small businesses. And since this is a wine and dime show, we are specifically featuring wines that we love. Our feature this month is Prejean Winery located between Watkins Glen and Geneva. And it is quite a journey to get, to get there. You'll hear me mentioning that I'm drinking a Cab Franc, which I love Cab Francs in general, but this one in particular has a really nice berry and plum aroma. It's nice and warm. It has good pepperiness to it, if that's a phrase. I think you're gonna really enjoy it. And just to give a little background on Prejean, they are a small winery, like I said, in the middle of uh, uh, Seneca Lake between Geneva and Watkins Glen. And the winemaker really gets involved with the customers, which I love. Uh, they, they grow a, a variety of grapes um, originally from Europe, such as Merlot, Cab Sauvignon, Cab Franc, Riesling, Gewürztraminer, and Chardonnay. And um, they have influences from regions like France, um, yes, Fr France also is an area that uh, Riesling grapes are grown, uh, even though they're known predominantly in Germany. And honestly, uh, very well known in the Finger Lakes, although they're we're doing some really amazing things with reds as well. They have some of my favorite whites that I, I like. I'm not a huge white fan and it's not that I dislike it. I just really enjoy reds a lot more, but 
They, as as you'll hear me feature next week, have some unique whites that I really love. And their dry Riesling just won the double gold for 2019 San Francisco Chronicle Wine Competition. I think you'll enjoy the journey to Prejean, even if it's just a journey to their website to scope out the wines that they have and to learn about the winemaker, Tom. If you have a few minutes, hop onto their website. It's prejean.com. That's P-R-E-G-E-A-N. And we're, we'd be delighted if you mentioned us that we referred you when you place your order. Uh, we don't get anything out of it other than the satisfaction that we've helped a small business continue to flourish during this very unique time. We hope you enjoy this show very much, and we hope you enjoy the journey to your favorite wine or beverage, whatever that might be. So sit on back, grab your favorite beverage and enjoy the show. Well, welcome podcast listeners once again to the Wine and Dime podcast show. Today, I have a wonderful woman that I think you're all going to be incentivized by and listening to her journey. Terry, I was gonna almost say it wrong, Terry, Terry DeCoster. She and I met in a Facebook group that we both belong to and we started chatting offline a little bit. When I learned what she does and how she does it, I couldn't help but ask her to be on the show. So Terry, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you for having me. Well, as you know, I I can't wait to get into what it is that we chatted so much about one afternoon. But before we do that, I'd love to start with our wine tip selection or section. I don't know why I keep saying selection. I think it's like a a subliminal thing. (laughs) Do you have a favorite wine that you are drinking right now or not maybe at this very moment, but that you like to have around the house? Yes, I did. I thought of one especially for today. And it is Friday. So although it's not quite open yet, I may be opening it soon. <laughs> um, I'll have what's called the Sorceress. It's uh, from Sleight of Hand Cellars in Walla Walla, Washington. And it's uh, a blend of Grenache and Syrah. However, the newer ones are 100% Grenache. I, I do like blends and I like Syrah. So um, I haven't had the newer uh, vintages, but this I'm whole- really in. Go ahead. I'm really into Grenaches right now. I love them. Oh well, then you can you can order this from the um, winery out in Washington. And oh. the story behind it is that we went there two years ago. We went on a wine tasting trip with four or five couples, um, and we went to Oregon and Washington, and we did mm. the Pinot Noirs in the Willamette Valley of Oregon, and then we went out to Walla Walla, which is the High Plains, and it was just beautiful. And one of these uh, vineyards with so many were terrific, but the sleight of hand cellars is kind of an interesting one. And the other thing that I love about this is the label. And I am not one necessarily to buy wine because of the label. I do actually have some background in wine uh, knowledge. So I'm not always uh, seduced by that, but it does have a terrific label. um, The 2000. Uh, 15 and 16 of this woman. And I just love the idea of a woman power. And I'm imagining this sorceress um, casting incantations, though, for good in the natural world. Love that. I'm going to have to look that one up because I do like to, um, I do like Grenache's and it's hard to find any here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that'll be an interesting one. I'll have to see off to go to their web- website. And you said it was um, just looking at hand. the hand. Spell yep. And I can send, okay. you, send you some info on that. <laughs> Perfect. 
Well, that's a wonderful addition to uh, most, most of the time people are hearing me drink something from uh, New York. As you know, I love to, uh, to promote some of the local wineries that we have in New York. And what I have ready to be opened this evening is from Prejean, which is between Geneva and Watkins Glen. And they are actually our winery of the month. We like to feature a different winery every month. And they're quite a journey to get to. I think that's the fun of wine tasting sometimes is the journey to get there. It's like you were saying, this particular winery um, just embraced you for some particular reason. And uh, the winery that I'm referring to, Prejean, they have uh, a location that is sort of uh, unique to some of the other wineries in, in the Finger Lakes. It's it's in the middle and not a lot of other wineries around it. Beautiful view of the lake, extraordinary view of the lake. And I have one of their Merlots sitting out on the, the, t- the counter for me to open this evening. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> fun. Well, fun fact is that I did my undergraduate degree at Syracuse University. So I am familiar with that Finger Lakes region. Uh-huh. And we did do some wine uh, tasting up there and enjoyed local wines. Lots of local wines up in the Syracuse area. <laughs> I think they all, you know, circulate up there. There's a good population to be able to sell to. So yeah, there's a good good amount of um, vineyards that promote their wine up in that area. And you've got, I mean, if you're in Syracuse, you're so close to just about all of the tops of the wineries, all the Finger Lakes. So fun times. I didn't know you did your undergrad there. Mm-hmm. So digging in just a little bit, I'd love, I really want to, I want people to understand what it is that you do and what I was so attracted to when we were talking about things. So why don't I let you share your, what I would say, journey to the vineyard and your vineyard development. Um, first of all, for those that uh, didn't read the show notes, you'll notice in there that I had co-parent and step-parent coach and family mediator is what Terry is doing. And I would love for you to share how you got to that journey. That's such a great question. And it definitely has been a journey. I always tell people when they ask me about it, I say, this work for me is personal. And that's how we connected to Amy. I think you've got a Mm -hmm. connection to this kind of story. And um, my parents were divorced in the 1960s. And that was uh, divorce was a very different uh, animal back then. And no one talked about, I say, the D word. Um, my, my brother and I were quite young at the time. Uh, there were not any resources. My, my parents, I think, struggled a bit. Um, there was a lot of conflict. Um, I, my father actually uh, contested the divorce. And back then, women were not allowed to get divorced if a, a man contested it. And they had to prove or give cause for divorce. So it put a lot of burden on her um, so that was just it's an interesting change uh, in way divorces are done today. And so my brother and I were really impacted by that. We, uh, I was, I looked at one of these Facebook posts recently of like a second grade class, and my particular school. I think I was the only second grader with parents who were divorced. So I felt very different. I think mm-hmm. I felt less than. Um, there were some, you know, difficulties. Uh, my father and my mom tried to have us go back and forth, but there was quite a bit of conflict back then. So um, he ended up moving away. And so we kind of lost touch, which was also another sort of difficult and disappointing piece of it that's just unique to my story. So, and then, um, and then he passed away when I was a teenager. 
of cancer. So, but as I became a young adult and uh, grappled with some of those those issues, um, certainly. I had children of my own and I was raising my children and I heard about this organization uh, that they wanted to put together in Portland, Maine, the area I live in. And it was a center for divorcing and separating families where they could go. It could be, it would be for parents, it would be for children, and it would be for professionals to get um, in professional conferences. And I immediately like raised my hand and was like, I'm in, <laughs> I want to do this. And um, I am a actually founding volunteer and board member of the Kids First Center in Portland that is now 22 years old and uh, still serving families and children and uh, pivoting, as you said, in this uh, pandemic to all virtual services at this time. What was it like to, uh, because I would think that a lot of what you do is, uh, well, I won't think, I know what a lot of you do is very emotional. And you can read body language very differently and you can um, almost with your voice, with your body language, to a certain extent, de-escalate a situation sometimes. How has that been different going to the virtual world? Mm. Yes, certainly. We've been talking about this quite a bit in some mediator studying groups and um, that there are some benefits actually to the virtual platform, I'm finding that I am getting more co-parenting couples coming, being willing to come to get, do coaching um, because they don't have to come to the same place. They don't have to be in the same room or waiting room or shuttling in and out of the same mediation, or I do co-parent coaching. And sometimes it's, you know, it's the same room at my office, but I might shuttle them in and out. They see each other. So the interesting upside we've discovered is a little more willingness to come because they can be in their own home. As you know, the emotions are really high, the the negativity or lack of trust. So um, we're finding actually these virtual rooms are helping parents come together. And I figure I do prefer to be with people in person, but I thought if more people are coming, children are benefiting, I'm good with it. So explain what you mean by co-parenting. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, yeah, an interesting, uh, sometimes misunderstood. Co-parenting is between the two legal parents of uh, their legal children. So it's um, couples that have been married and separated and divorced, or what we also call never marrieds now, which is not a very attractive term, but they say never marrieds um, that have separated and are raising their children together, but they're both the legal parents. I also do step parent or new partner coaching. And sometimes they'll come in and they'll say, oh, we're co-parenting this way. And they want to marginalize the other legal parent. And I have to sort of explain to them that really legally, and uh, this is the way it's the structure of it is the co-parents are the two legally responsible parents. So they are the co-parents, the uh, new partner, bonus parent, step parent, blended families, all these other names that come into it. <laughs> um, like I always say children don't necessarily think it's a bonus, but often the adults will call it that. Um, they're not really truly co-parenting. Co-parents are the two legal parents. And a lot of times uh, they're in a lot of conflict, as you can imagine. We sort of joke uh, you know, with them that you didn't get along when you were married. And now guess what? The irony of the divorce is that you actually have to continue to co-parent and maybe even do a better job of it now. Well, and it's challenging, right? When you, when you think about all those scenarios that you just ran, let's say it's a blended family and let's say there's co-parenting on both ends because maybe there were prior kids from both 
sides of the relationship initially. So really you have four adults um, potentially involved in that situation, right? And it's pretty critical that all the adults are on the same page to make sure that the kids are getting the right guidance. And you got divorced for a reason or you separated for a reason. So how, you know, how is it that give us, I guess, give us an example of some of the techniques or at least one technique that, and this probably isn't going to come out right, but I say makes the adults in the room be adults. (laughs) Well, um, that's a good question. Let's see. Yes, you're right. There can be four adults and it can, uh, from the child's perspective, uh, which I always, that's one of one of my things. I really do try to elevate the experience or voice of the child. I said, a lot of kids think about ourselves. We had two parents maybe, or in my case, ended up with one parent. That seemed like enough. Like I don't need three or four telling me what to do. So that's a tricky thing right there. And then you mm-hmm. have all the four invested adults and the new partners are very excited to contribute what they can. They're very zealous about, um, contributing to the child who may or may not welcome their advances. So one of the first things we do, we have to do, and this is can happen in the courts or, and we do it in co-parent coaching, which is elevating the parents. The legal parents really need to be the ones that hold, they legally have the decision-making power. They are, have the legal responsibility. And if anything goes wrong, frankly, in this child's life, they are the one that the state or government will come after and be like, Mm -hmm. why is this child? not fed or not well, or mm-hmm. it ran away from home. Um, those are the parents that have the legal decision-making and not only that, but the health as well, um, bringing a child to even to the emergency room. If you are a step parent, even married, you don't have necessarily automatic legal medical rights or decision-making. And sometimes that really upsets a step parent bringing a child to the emergency room and the they take the staff, takes the child out back and says, you can wait out here in the waiting room. You're not in. So we really try to explain. And sometimes that's just setting expectations appropriately. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that people have expectations and then they become very disappointed. So one is, is elevating the parents to be the decision makers, the disciplinarians, and the ones who hand out the consequences the most. And the new partners are always saying, well, what's my job then? What's my role? And we always say, It's to support the parent in their parenting. You can do that. You can be a voice. You can be a benevolent uh, helper in the family. And over time, you may become more of a decision maker um, in the picture. But initially, and and the time frame really is like four to seven years, you you really have to lay that groundwork with the children to be a decision maker and implementer of discipline and consequences. And and as the founder, founder volunteer of Mm -hmm. the Kids First Center, I I mean, some of that work that you're doing there even reaches further, right? I mean, you really get an opportunity to explore this even further through the Kids First Center. Yes. Yeah. I'm a facilitator or presenter of the course for Kids First for New Partners. Um, used to be called for step parents, but um, it's, a, it's a little of both. A lot of parents are repartnering um, pretty soon mm-hmm. after divorce, separating, I should say separation, maybe even before divorce. And so I teach that class and sometimes the parenting through divorce and I do kids groups. And that's what I really enjoy. Like I was saying, I try to elevate the voices. I listen to the kids 
And so when I do teach adult classes, I try to bring in their voices and what I hear from the groups. We ask them questions and what are their concerns or fears? And we say, can you share that with your adult? Or how could you share that with your parent? And they often are like, no. And we're like, why not? (laughs) And so I try to explain to parents, they want so much to please you. They're afraid to tell you what they're really experiencing. And it might be pretty negative. It might be pretty difficult, a lot of distress, but they're afraid that it won't be welcome by their parents to hear how their new love or their new life is difficult for them or even well, I think divorce it, itself might just. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, I think it's difficult for a child to understand what's going on. I mean, you know, whatever age you are, if you're not an, and even if you're an adult child, sometimes I think it's still challenging, but I think whatever age you are, you're, you're stuck in the middle and you don't want to upset either parent, right? You love mom, you love dad, Um, it's really, really hard when there's a conflict between mom and dad and mom and dad can't, you know, I want to say shelter that conflict in a way that the kids understand that they're not in the middle. Right. And I think that's to the core of what you're doing. You're trying to, you're trying to keep the child out from being in the middle of that, whatever that conflict is. Absolutely. Um, the mission of Kids First Center and others places like that, or even my co-parent coaching is we think of it as preventative medicine. It doesn't uh, mean that kids don't have uh, trauma from divorce and separation. I really always say too, that we can't minimize that, uh, and that we shouldn't minimize that. I feel like that's was my experience as a child was this elephant in the room. And it was like, no one talked about it. And when I heard about there was going to be this place where people could openly talk about issues, mm-hmm. I was very excited about it. So it minimizes the lasting trauma to be able to talk about it. One of the first things we do is try to curb the conflict, calm down the conflict, or at least uh, remove it to the degree possible from the children and give parents language about what they can say about it. Right. Language, mm-hmm. uh, communication, right. That's really what this kind of boils down to is proper communication between all parties. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when you, when you, cause I know you said, and I know we talked before that, you know, this was a personal journey for you. Um, when you, when you were a child, you went, you went to uh, Syracuse for your undergrad. Did, was this ever something that, you know, is this in the forefront of your mind or, you know, where was the journey in the middle with you? Yeah, it was because my father, you know, again, statistically, he, he fell into the statistics. He remarried very quickly. So I stepmom. And um, so we, that was an early on, a very young Young children tend to follow and go along pretty easily. You're, you know, you have that Pied Piper of a parent, and if they set the tone that it's okay, it's pretty much okay. I liked my stepmom. Um, then my mom was single from all of our upgrowing, and then mm-hmm. went around college around the end of high school. She got married, and that was a very difficult time. And I think that is difficult. I talk about uh, setting appropriate expectations. A lot of times, um, parents will think when they remarry, their kids are teenagers or young adults, uh, college, or even early adulthood, that 
oh, they won't mind. I'll just send them an email. Oh, hey, guess what? We're getting, and it really is actually quite emotionally upsetting. So yeah, I was around college age and I remember, uh, and my stepbrothers and if they were in that family, they became six stepbrothers and sisters. And then I also have a half sister, but, um, my mother says in hindsight that the crap hit the fan six different ways. And she said they had no idea. They were totally blindsided. And one of the experiences I felt was just sort of like I wanted to move away from it. I didn't want to be part of it. Um, my psychology training now lets me know that that's what kids do at that age, separation and individuation and their focus is outward. So I went out. That was, you know, my friends, uh, my internships, my jobs, whatever, just focused outward. But I do have a really poignant memory that I have shared in my classes, which is an example of uh, parents getting it right. And this to me was great um, because this was before, again, um, a lot of education around divorce and step parenting for parents. And my mom came to visit me my freshman year at Syracuse and she pulled up in the car and I walked around to get in the back seat. And my stepdad was in the back seat, And I was like, hmm. what are you, Bob, what are you doing here? And I said, you get and sit in the front, sit in the front. And he was like, no, you haven't seen your mother. You get in the front seat. And it, it chokes me up even when I share that story. It just was really poignant. And I think at the time, I, it brought tears to my eyes because it made, he, he acknowledged that relationship that my mom and I had that is very hard a lot of times for a new partner to do, to acknowledge mm-hmm. that pre-existing bond that exists between a parent and a child um, that came before the, that second or third marriage. So uh, that was a really poignant story for me. I just, I've always uh, felt grateful and I had the chance to share mm-hmm. that with him later on in life, how much I appreciated him doing it. And that shows grown up behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, I know the thoughtful, mature, grown up behavior, like that's what I call it. Right. So um, I think that's one of the challenges is that we've gotten to be such a texting, emailing, non um, non face to face or uh, world that we are losing some of that sensitivity. I want to say mm-hmm. when things like this happen, right? We're just we're we're losing it a bit, and we're thinking about the emotion that we're feeling about the other person, not how not how the person in the middle and not how the child is thinking about what they're hearing, and that can that can create a whole nother ball of wax problems, right? I mean, if what, one thing about children is that if they think they can get their way with one parent, then they're going to try to get their way with that parent, right? So they can play parents against each other if that occasion isn't there, especially if they're not living together. Well, mom said I could do that. Or dad said I could do that. Or mom and mom said I could do that. You know, I mean, it's, um, it's very different from that perspective now. So how do you, how do you, as a when you're co-parenting like that, you know, I'm sure a piece of what you're talking to them about is how you make sure that things like that get addressed. Right. Exactly. Um, children are going to, uh, developmentally, it's their task. Their job is not, you know, uh, if they are overly pleasing of us and being too obedient, we try to teach us in classes, then maybe we're doing something wrong or not the best, you know, that children are supposed to push back and they're supposed to you know, we joke like sheep, they're, they're going to find the broken fence and they're going to be all out in the road because they, you know, they, they check the fence every day and children are doing that too. 
So um, you, we really try to leverage, uh, that's what we call it, Kids First Center, was hoping that we try to leverage the commonality of the parents that they have about the well-being of their children to mm-hmm. get them to communicate for their child's best, um, best health. So uh, we'll, and we do say the teenage years are times when children really can get into dangerous things. And if <laughs> it's bad for intact families, nu- nuclear families, it is way worse for uh, divorced families, separated parents. And so we tell them they need to, for their child's really best interest and health, be communicating. So we do try to set up some guidelines on communication now. Um, I don't know if that was what you're thinking is now that there's so yeah. many ways of communicating, uh, yeah. social media, the um, e- email, texting. Texting. Yeah, that's problem. a big one. Um, but we find that um, a lot of parents, you know, aren't, they aren't talking, they're texting a lot. But I mm-hmm. find in my coaching, one of the things I try to do is reestablish um, a good communication sort of hierarchy. If you're getting along well enough to talk, talk. You can even get a go to a coffee shop, all the more power to you. And some, but if you can talk, talk. If you can't, email. And we try to have them do like a once a week parental co-parenting email where they just kind of, hey, this happened at my house. This is coming up and send the email. The other parent goes, great. Oh, mm-hmm. I want to talk about vacation or whatever. And we have a whole mm-hmm. outline mm-hmm. of approved really topics. And we don't ask about the new girlfriend. We don't ask about why don't you get a different job and make more money, you loser. You know, like none of that goes in the emails, just about the children. And then texting, I really discourage highly and have people use texting only for emergencies and what I call urgencies, which is, um, you know, the the bridge is up. We have a bridge here in Portland, Maine, or, and I'm going to be late or, oh I, oh, I said, or use texting to say, Hey, I sent you an email. When you have a chance, could you look at it? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just because sometimes uh, texting is, I know for me personally, I have, you know, three or four different emails. So somebody is more likely to get my attention with a text message than necessarily an e- I mean, I will get to the email eventually, but it might take me a little while versus a text message that pops up. So, I mean, obviously your mom and, and your situation was very um, influential in this direction that you've gone. Are there other influences that you've you know, experienced in, in this development over time? Well, I just think that it was, it was very impactful. And, um, when it, you, you thinking about who do I admire around in this, in this, uh, field, I really came to think about my mother and it's interesting because she had no education around it. She had quite, um, raising kids, a single mom and my dad did move away. We weren't in touch with him. That was not, pleasant was not preferred. And as I got older in my early twenties and started reckoning with my own sort of think, thinking about relationships and marriage, you know, as you get in your twenties and am I going to get married? Do I believe in marriage? What do I even think about (laughs) the whole thing? Right. Um, we could talk also about adult children of divorce, you know, how they have that legacy of loss early on and they carry that with them. So, um, I appreciate what she did. And I asked her and I said, mom, you never talked badly about my dad, and you could have, and so many people I hear do. And she mm-hmm. said, well, I just didn't think it would help you kids. I didn't see what it would serve. I knew that he loved you. Um, it was a tough time. There was a lot of embarrassment because of the way the, which I come to realize the way the court system set up that contested divorce. It really was humiliating 
for uh, parties to do that publicly. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that may have been part of it. So I really admire her. And I said, Mom, you were like kids first before there was kids first. <laughs> no. And she does say, she's like, well, I didn't have a podcast and I didn't have, a, you know, <laughs> what I to go to. Um, so I do really admire that, that she did that. That she had the forethought to, to be that way, mm -hmm. right? To, to really understand that that's, and, and, the, and the way that she said, you know, I don't, I don't see where that would have made it any better for anybody. Mm -hmm. Right. And she could have, and uh, the divorce itself was quite, had a lot of conflict and a lot of complications and moves and family help. I lived with my great grandmother for a while. It was not easy at all. And that's why mm -hmm. I really admire that her communicating with my brother and I was not dumping what you and I just talked about a bit ago, dumping mm -hmm. the conflict and the negative or anything. And she just, she found a way in her own mind to let that go. So then fast forward, you're, you know, you're, you're doing this work, you're having to switch from, you know, the traditional methods of, you know, men to, I would say mentoring is a big, or mediator is a big part of it. Um, now you're doing it virtually, which seems to have actually increased the people that are interested in it. What's your next move in this environment? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I've been really thinking about that. This COVID-19 time that we've all had this stay at home time has had a little time to do some thinking or at least doing things differently and rethinking. I Definitely, um, I'm on a, from, from a business perspective, as a woman owning my own business, I want to expand my business and expand mm -hmm. my uh, opportunity, you know, my resources for people. But I am discovering how um, I keep bumping up against my own limitations of becoming visible, and mm. uh, you know, if that goes with having to quote sell yourself or put yourself out there. So I really had to do some reckoning about that. And interestingly, so while we had this time home, I had a group of colleagues and we thought, let's put together something, a virtual event. We talked about doing an in-person event and we first said, oh, we have to cancel that. And then we said, wait a minute, well, let's do virtual all these other people are. So we put something together and we called it the Courageous Journey. And we had uh, maybe a dozen people. And what was interesting is I think over half of them were not from... Maine. They were from as far as California, New Jersey. Wow. Michigan. And we just had this aha moment and we went, why are we limiting ourselves to this geographic area? So that, you know, it's again, intellectually, we could have known that, but it was something that we came to sort of forcing because of the new environment. And it really made me question myself and my own courageous journey. And I've been doing a lot mm -hmm. of uh, soul searching around that going, I need to take another courageous step um, in, in role modeling and my post divorce life myself, I'm divorced too. I don't know if I've said that yet and trying to find my own career and get on my own feet financially. And, um, so it was kind of an interesting offer this class on courageous journey around money and setting up, um, your, uh, wills and estate documents and why that <laughs> supports you as a woman, even if you actually don't even have anything, why that's important if you have mm -hmm. children. And uh, mm -hmm. I talked about courageous conversations and someone else talked about heartfelt, uh, you know, courageous inner journey. So that was kind of interesting. We say what's next it sort of made me really realize how much I miss the coaching part of just really mm -hmm. helping people coaching them through divorce or adult children of divorce or sort of that all sequelae of divorce into the next 
phase of life where they are thriving and seeing all the possibilities and opportunities and that have come out of that maybe not so positive or let's call it what it is, negative situation. Well, it's, it's paralyzing, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, you're, when you're going through that emotionally, you're just paralyzed and it's your focus. You just want it over with it's, and then, and then, and, and I have never experienced divorce myself. Like I haven't gone through it, but my mother did. And I saw, you know, how emotional draining it was. And I've had tons of clients and friends, you know, go through it. And it is the only thing they can think about when they're going through, they just want it done. And then you come out on the other side and you want the next thing. You want happiness, you want joy. And in today's world, there's very few next steps that don't come with, I, you know, people have said baggage, which I think is a horrible term, but, but you know, it, it, it's, it's different, right? You, you, if you're, if you're in your forties and you get divorced and, you know, likely you're going to find somebody in their forties who's been divorced and, and you're building those new blended families and it really creates um, unique circumstances all over the, all, all across the board. And, and not to mention that, that coaching piece that you're talking about, um, it's not therapy, but to understand how to deal with it and to be, to, to want to learn how to be better at it. I think that's the coaching aspect of it, right? That's when somebody, when I guess what I'm getting at or what I'm trying to explain is when, when, in what situation, would somebody be looking for a person that is a co-parent and step-parent coach and family mediator? Right. Yeah. I think what I find, I, I find is that people come typically, well, more than half of the time they come because they're already in crisis and I'll have someone will say, Oh, a friend of mine who spoke with you recommended you a year ago, two years ago. I should have come then. Now they're in a situation where they're, um, one of the parents, uh, their son won't come visit them anymore because of the new partner and their children and the new rules and all this stuff. And they, so now they're coming and it's almost like a crisis intervention. They are uh, very upset and very distressed. And um, so that is one way that I get clients is that they are, it's like going to the doctor. It's like, you can't avoid the pain anymore. (laughs) And then there are other folks that do come. I have some folks I've had uh, women and men, both single and going, oh, I'm about, I want to get married, or I'm involved with someone with children. We haven't, I haven't been introduced to them yet, but we don't want to do it wrong. And they're very, oh, so well-meaning. And it's so Mm. uh, cute in a way that they're like, I don't want to do this wrong. Uh, Well, that's a lot of pressure because we don't really know. Children are so unpredictable. It's hard to know, but I do help them begin to integrate. And I've had some couples over a few years come for a few sessions and not see them. Then six months later, they're like, hey, we're moving in together. Can I come in for another tune-up? And then I chat with them about mm-hmm. some of the things about how, and then it's, uh, you know, how they can move in together and establish that. And then they're like, maybe six months later, we're engaged. We want to get married. How do we tell the mom? How do we tell the kids? You know, so sometimes people are very proactive that way and uh, are trying so hard to do everything, quote, right <laughs> from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you and I know, both no blended families, just um, 
There's no controlling that, really. Uh, but there are best practices, you know, there are good practices. There are ways that you can try. I would say uh, I see people walking, what I say, walking into propeller blades. And I'm like, you can keep doing that, but at your own peril. You're yeah. not going to fare well. I mean, how does, how does, I, I did not know this existed. And that's what, what intrigued me in asking you to be on the podcast, because I didn't even know that there was such a thing as, you know, a co-parent and step-parent coach and a family media. I, I, I've heard of family mediators, but not in this way, like not, not the way that you're doing it. Um, how many, how many exist out there in the world you mentioned that you belong to a group? How many are there that actually do what you do? Not a lot of people. I would say there's more co-parent coaching is what I see um, or divorce coaches. I'm starting to see on the social, social media, you know, Mm -hmm. all across the country in California, there's a lot of people who are very more socially media savvy than I am and web presence and all that. Mm -hmm. But in our community here in Portland, I do do traditional mediation in the courts and I also do family mediation privately, but I do do a lot around these conversations and not a lot of my colleagues do that. My colleagues Mm -hmm. that I um, work with are certified divorce financial analysts, um, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe life coaches. I do have therapists um, and uh, just that type of group of people that helps Mm -hmm. folks through divorce sort of, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, like work like you do. Like a CDFA. But there's not a lot of of folks that do what I do, but uh, often they're therapists. Sometimes they can get reimbursed for insurance. Many, even if they do take insurance, won't take insurance for co-parenting because we really mm-hmm. consider it psychoeducational. It's not a therapy or where someone needs a diagnosis of a mental illness or a pathology. Mm-hmm. So that's where I feel the coaching. I really, I just, I've always embraced the coaching model. I don't want to think of it as a pathology. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. People are coming mm-hmm they're in crisis or not in crisis and they need help. Well, are there books that you have uh, read over the course of your journey that have impacted you? And, and, and are there books that you encourage people that read that are going through this? Uh, definitely. Absolutely. Um, didn't have, let's see, I would say one of them is sur- surviving and thriving in your step family with um, one of the author, Patricia Papernow. She's in Boston. She's terrific. I've gone to a few conferences and we actually designed our step parenting program around her research. Uh, Patricia Papernow, she's great. And um, she also wrote the first, one of the first major books, at least that I know of, um, called On Becoming a Blended Family or Becoming a Blended Family. And uh, so she's quite an expert on this. Another one is this woman, Karen Bunnell, who's out in a Seattle area in Washington. And she's written um, the co-parenting handbook, which is great for parents and actually for practitioners. And uh, she and Patricia Papper now, ironically, teamed up and they just put out the step parenting handbook. I think it just came out this last year. Uh, so those are a couple of women that I right away turn to, and I always reference them in my court, you know, classes when I'm teaching or have clients read those books. Good resources for people yeah. if they're just starting this journey and trying to figure out what direction they need to go. Yeah. Um, and, and, and right now, I mean, you know, I, it, there's been so many conversations that I've had with, with families that 
um, they've they've been forced to be in the same room with each other, the same home with each other, and life has slowed down a little bit. And they've they've been required to communicate a bit more. And this, as much as I don't ever want to have to go through a pandemic or have to worry about toilet paper or hand sanitizer ever, hopefully again in my life, I have heard some really good feedback and outcomes from families that because they're slowing down a little bit, they're actually, and having conversations and eating dinner together, mm-hmm. novel idea, right? Um, that it's bringing some of that stress and tension out of the picture and improving some of the relationships in, in that way. Have you noticed that over the course of this as well? I have heard a bit of that. And I do think that's why I'm seeing some more people coming for co-parent coaching. For one thing, they can't go to the courts. And honestly, from my training as a mediator, we sit with magistrates and judges. They don't want those cases. They don't want the uh, post-divorce motions about parenting plans and Mm -hmm, battles. mm -hmm. and how they're, They're like, I'm a stranger. I don't know this kid. And I'm not trained in mental health and all this stuff. They do not want me to make this decision. And so I actually feel that in some ways, some people in their conflict want to run to the courts to solve it. And the courts don't really want to solve it. That's why they send them to mediation. But in this case, they couldn't even go to the courts and they could maybe find a private mediator, but many didn't know how to do virtual mediation. And that's what I've learned how to do recently. And, Mm -hmm. um, so they've been turning to me, I think, for co-parent coaching. So I thought, wow, this is actually what people should be doing. They should be, yeah, should be to doing, yeah. a coach, a therapist, or somebody for some co-parenting and not running to the courts, which often makes conflict worse or get attorneys involved. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the escalation of emotion gets, gets going sometimes in those cases. Yeah. Now, would you feel that there's any particular obstacles right now that you're currently facing in the development of your business? Yeah, per, like as I said, um, I'm letting, there's a truck going by. Do you hear that? Sorry. <laughs> a little bit, no worries. Like I said, we can edit it. <laughs> truck, sorry. <laughs> it's like, no, I could see it coming. I was like, oh no. Okay, back on top. Mm-hmm. Um, say that, can you just prompt the question again? Sure, no problem. Yeah. So any obstacles that you're currently um, facing, I, I mean, you're, you're going virtual, which is great. And that's an obstacle that you've now overcome. But what, as you think about the future of your business and, and even your life, um, what, what obstacles do you think you might be facing or that you're currently, um, I, I say fear, you know, because there, there could be a fear that you have to face in the development of your business moving forward. Absolutely. Um, well, I, I said this earlier, one is that realizing in order to be a successful business, you have to get out there and, and sell, you know, and, um, become more visible. And like you said, I didn't even know something like this exists. So I want more people to know that I exist. I probably am a little bit on the introverted side or willing to be on the, you know, in the background a little. So I have to step out in more in my own courageous journey that I was talking about the workshop we did. I was like, I need to be more courageous. The other thing is if I'm going to grow and scale, uh, this is your wheelhouse. I need to have more financial skills, I think, um, Mm. and systems so that I feel, uh, confident and, uh, that I'm doing all the right things for my business and for taxes and all of that infrastructure and also planning. 
like how much mm-hmm. do I need to make? And ideally I would like, I guess one of the challenges is being an individual and how can I leverage myself more? Is there anything I could do to create a, more streams of income or mm-hmm. a course or something? So I am, you know, some people a book or whatever. So mm-hmm. how else can I expand and be more visible and expand my business and make myself um, more secure and uh, mm-hmm. successful in my business? Well, I guess that leads to one of the the final questions that I often ask people is what is your definition of success? That's a great question. (laughs) Um, I'm probably maybe not a traditional definition, but I think I have learned through becoming divorced and single that being financially secure is important. And a lot of people say money isn't everything. It is not everything, but you need to have a base level of financial security. So I think that having, knowing that you have, um, financial stability. And then I would say positive relations in your, in your family and friends. And uh, after this pandemic, who can say that we also don't value good health? Um, and then I will add that we have drank a lot of good wine during this. <laughs> That's that been one of the benefits of this, hasn't it? <laughs> dash of that. <laughs> yes, I do think that this, uh, I, I do think the uh, wineries that I took down to Florida, the wine that I took down to Florida with me, um, were hugely impactful in me getting through <laughs> day after day of ser- staring at a screen, um, you know, through Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting, mm-hmm. uh, and, and digging into the numbers a lot, mm-hmm. um, were definitely very helpful in getting me through it. So I agree. Drinking great wine. I, I have a saying, yeah, and, and many people have, have seen it in my signature, um, personal signature is uh, life is short. Drink the good wine first, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> good wine always. Um, Terry, just sort of moving on into our final section of the podcast, which is what we call our nourish your vine section. We take just a few minutes and ask our guests to provide one or two or whatever financial lessons that they've learned in their lives that they're willing to share with the listeners so that perhaps they can understand or avoid even, you know, some of the the same financial missteps that you may have taken. Mm. Well, I would definitely say in keeping with this topic, and again, the, the personal being personal for me, uh, I was a stay-at-home mom for several years and then getting divorced. And so I really felt the financial fear and paralysis around that. And and frankly, the conflict that comes from uh, how do you divide resources and wh- versus when you have two adults that have equal uh, careers and, mm-hmm. and resources. Mm-hmm. So I don't discourage people from someone staying home with their children. I think it's a very noble thing to, to raise your own children and be available to them. But if you do get divorced, I think that one of the things I've learned is that financial issues post-divorce can be really scary. So I would say in so many things, uh, that paralysis, that word you said really stuck out to me. I felt paralyzed. So I would say uh, get going as soon as you can. You know, I wished I had begun sooner, but don't beat yourself up. So if you want to start mm-hmm. today, start today and reach out to a financial coach or a financial, um, some kind of financial, maybe financial advisor or planner feels too scary, but sometimes they have resources toward a financial coach who might be the right level for you. Um, 
and that you need to know about your finances, have some skills and knowledge to not be afraid of that. And then finally, in maybe finding your own career, to believe in yourself and own your own value. Uh, that has taken me a long time to grow into that and realize I have something to offer and that it's valuable and people appreciate hearing. And every time I almost get surprised sometimes and people are like, why do you act surprised every single time, Terry, when you're, you're helpful, you know, it's taken me a long time to grow into it. So um, I would say to try to get the support you need around finances right away and it will make you actually feel better and get going. Ken. That imposter syndrome is tough, isn't it? Yes. It's really tough. Yeah. And it's tough. It's easy for, you know, once you're on the other side of it, it's easy. It's easy to say, you know, don't, don't let that get in your way. Cause, cause you've made it through to the other side, mm-hmm. but it's really hard when you're in the middle of it. And when you're, uh, when you are trying to get your head around all the changes that are happening in your life. I, I know when I started my own business, I, I severely, uh, suffered from imposter syndrome. And even though I had been in the profession for 22 years, at, uh, 21 years at that point in time, I still suffered from imposter syndrome. And, and that wasn't complicated by a divorce. That was just me deciding to go start my own job, you know, my own business, I should say. Um, so complicate that with the emotion of just having gone through a divorce and it's pretty, pretty significant. So to understand that that's a real feeling, like don't, don't sidebar that, like that is, that is actually something you are, you should recognize as, as a real feeling and try to figure out why do you feel that way and work around it. I think that often they don't, uh, that you'll talk, finances gets talked about in this, uh, circumscribed way without the emotions. And I would say, I think there probably are a lot of emotions, you know, that oh, probably, yes. <laughs> whether however wealthy people are, they some probably never feel they have enough. And then you know, people on the other end. So, but having that emotional um, discussion is kind of like that of elephant in the room, even about the divorce. And, you know, mm-hmm. and it's another, it's like the more communication we can have about these and understand what our feelings are, our history, the mm-hmm. messages we received, and then where do we want to go? Who do we want to be? And that was, I really had to grow into that going, well, what do I want? Yeah. I, want I love that you said that because I do think that, um, it's the, you know, that we all, we all hear messages as we're growing up. Right. And, or with the people that are around us and, and we don't realize how that truly, when I, when I talk about how vineyards and lives are so similar, it is those influences in the air that are subtle influences that we don't realize how, how that actually helps us develop or, or develops us in a particular way, different from the vineyard down the street. You know, the house next door can have a very different flavor of wine uh, simply because of those influences that exist. And so, um, you know, I think it is important that we recognize that we all have different influences. And, you know, when we look at people and we think, oh my goodness, they seem so self-confident. Like, I wish I had that. Uh, anybody that I have said that to, like, I wish I had all your self-confidence. They look at me like, what? <laughs> you know, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I've never had somebody say, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I do, I do agree with what you said about, you know, there is a psychology behind money. Um, there's, there's a whole, 
you could you could go back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you can apply the same levels of psychology to it. In fact, I personally have the bag lady syndrome. I am terrified, even though I save, 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 save money, I am terrified that I am going to be a bag lady. Mm-hmm. And so I don't spend money. I'll save it, but then I don't dare spend it mm-hmm. because I'm worried that something else is going to come up. Right. It, it, and, and I deal with money all day long. And I still, there's a psychology there that exists because of those influences that we've, we've already talked about. And I know why they're there. I mean, I've spent time figuring that out, but it still doesn't make me a good, a good spender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it makes me a really good saver. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. Maybe in the wine. I'm sorry. What was that? The wine. You splurge on the wine. I do. That's my, yep. That is my vice. Um, that, and you know, I don't need the place down in Florida, but I don't like cold weather. And that, that is where if I'm going to spend money, it's going to be, you know, going to Florida in the winter and really good wine. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, Terry, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. And if people want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? I have a website. It's terrydecoster.com. And I'm also on Facebook as Terry DeCoster. I think it's MSCPC, and it says Divorce Coach. And I'm on Instagram, uh, Terry DeCoster. And they can reach me through and- those. Yeah, no, we'd love to put those in the show notes. And for people that are listening, if you don't get a chance to look at the show notes, Terry is T-E-R-R-I. Um, and then DeCoster is T- D-E-C-O-S-T-E-R. And we will have that in the show notes. So if you want to come back and look into it or connect with Carrie, Terry, excuse me, you can do that. And um, if you're looking for somebody to give you a little bit of coaching advice and co-parenting advice, she is your gal. So Terry, again, thanks so much for spending time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at RootedPG for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.